Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Legg and Chris Sherrod. Guys, I'm excited for another episode of yeah. the Reconstructed Faith podcast, and I'm excited today because we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit, talking about the uh, existence of God. Is that is that right? How we're uh, that's what I understood. good way to good yeah. way to form and, those and words. What is it? Sure. I think the way you asked it was like, what what is it that we've built on? Like, yeah. What, what, mm-hmm. What are the kind of rational, scientific, empirical, whatever arguments yeah. that we find confidence in as individuals? Great. Um, so, yeah. And and my experience is that different arguments hit different people, yeah. which is kind of wild uh, to consider. But Well, and this is, this is great because if someone has deconstructed, this is kind of some of the baseline of, okay, wait, who is God and how can I, can I believe him? And so yep. I'm, I'm excited for us to get into that. So I'm throwing it over to Chris Sherrod first. And we're going to talk about a cosmological argument. Yep. Am I saying that right? Yep. Okay, cool. I was going to point out first that all of these evidences that we're talking about have, have books about them, lectures, debates, um, videos online. There's a great one by William Lane Craig on the cosmological argument you can find on YouTube. It's yep. a really good explanation of it. We'll reference that in the show notes. Yeah. But so each, the way I like to think about it is that each of these are like a strand in a rope. Like what makes the rope strong is how many different strands you have in there. And so mm-hmm. one of these um, alone might not be as convincing as all of them taken as a whole. You start to go like, yeah, look at that evidence really does seem to be overwhelming. So to start off, I wanted to read from Romans 1. Great. Uh, because of how um, God is described Um, in this passage. So starting in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And I think we talked in here about the beach ball idea before. I don't know. Can you you remind me? The analogy is if, if I were to take a beach ball into a pool, for example, and push it under the water, it wants to come back up. I have to suppress it. I have to hold it down. So what he's about to talk about is what are the things that people hold down um, in unrighteousness or deny by the by their sinfulness or just choose not to listen to or to ignore. Okay. Um, there's things that you can just know that God has made plain um, externally and internally. But So it says, um, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For... What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Some versions say God has made it plain to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So the reason I read that is... It says there is something that you can know about God just by looking at the created order. Um, namely, it says his eternal power and divine nature. In other words, um, eternal would mean timeless um, and then really powerful. And then divine would be something that only God has, uh, his divine nature. And so 
what would Paul be talking about, or how can we then say, okay, well then, so let's we can, look it's at saying creation. that we can see those things clearly from in creation. God's creation, yeah. Mm-hmm. And in Psalm nineteen says, "The heavens declare the glory of God." Um, they're 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 putting Him on display. And so even from Genesis 1-1, you've got a God who creates time, space, and matter. In the beginning, so that means there was a there's a time moment where it began. God created the heavens. People have said that could be space and the earth, that's matter. But the point is, the foundation of what we're about to talk about is that there was a beginning, and it was someone who was outside of time and space, um, time in, in the physical realm. So... Mm-hmm. It's officially called the Kalam Cosmological Argument, and these are arguments just for theism. In other words, what we're going to be talking about right now are just reasons to believe in there being a God. Um, It's not exactly who that God is or or which religion that God belongs to. In fact, so the Kalam Cosmological Argument was made popular by medieval uh, Muslim scholars, and um, that was their, their branch of scholasticism was called Kalam. That's where the name comes from. But uh, the word cos, the cosmological part is from the the Greek word cosmos, which means um, world or universe. Um, It can also mean like order. It's partly where we get the word um, cosmology. I mean, uh, makeup, cosmology, cosmetics, cosmetics. Thank you. (laughs) Cosmetology. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, Anyways, so the idea is with this argument, um, we've got the universe. In front of us, we know that exists because we can see it. Mm-hmm. So why why does everything exist and not just nothing? What's the best explanation for what we have? And so your options are: well, the universe either has always been here, so it's eternal, or it had a beginning. And then, if it had a beginning, was it caused or just uncaused? And then, if it was caused, was it an an event cause, like a a, a what caused it, or is it a who? Right. question, uh, an agent or a person. So the Christian view is that we believe the universe had a beginning that was caused by a personal agent that we would call God. Um, but the, the basic principle or, or of causality or the law of cause and effect um, states that every effect has a cause from, from, what, we can, from what we've studied or observed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other big one is that everything that comes to be um, is caused by something before it. Right. So this is where people get caught up with like, well, then who created God? Th- that's a really important part of this argument, that everything right. that comes to be had to have a cause. We don't believe that Everything God, that starts to exist. Right. We right. don't believe that God started to exist. He's always been. So when people make that argument, that claim, that's where you just go, well, that's, you don't understand the nature of the God that we're, that we're talking about. Um, I, I think a really simple way to Which even, boggles your mind. Right. Like in, and so if you're sitting there going, that does boggle my mind. It's not that it doesn't boggle our right, mind. Right, right, right. It's just we're talking about we're talking about the nature of God. That yeah. is who God is. And t- by being time space creatures, right? We think of like we have to use words to explain time. Like what was God doing all those years before? Right. He created stuff because we have to think in terms of time. But He created um, time, right? Yeah. All right. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, you're good. That's fine. So, uh, one other before I get to the. Uh, official statement of the argument. Mm-hmm. It's it's helpful for me in a lot of this, um, and I think this will tie into even what Chris is going to argue uh, later. In general, in our world, um, whenever a what can't explain something, we automatically defer to a who. Like when the odds of something are just 
astronomical. We just go, okay. Right. So in other words, if my child's room looks like a tornado hit it, um, and then an hour later I walk by and it's all clean, it's all ordered, <laughs> right? Um, which is rare um, without some talk, <laughs> talking to we're not talking about miracles. We're just right. talking about the <laughs> right. God here. Um, in it, but I, but here's the deal: I didn't see anyone clean the room. Um, trying to explain that naturally, like, well, you left the window open, and so that the wind blew in, stirred it all up, and they all landed in the closet on the bed and in the dresser, the where they're supposed to go. Whenever a what doesn't explain something sufficiently, we naturally just go then. Okay, so who did this? Who cleaned this up? Even if it's messy, I'm going to say, who, who messed up the room? Right. Um, yeah. Were you going to add something to that? No, no, no. No, you're right. Yeah. Keep going. So that's that's the way we naturally... Um, and so the more complicated or complex something becomes, um, the less likely it is that it's chance or randomness, those kinds of things. So the, uh, the cosmological argument has basically three main points. Um, in the syllogism, uh, the first Syllog- syllogism, uh huh, like the it's a logical, the logical the logical formula. Yeah. Oh, okay, like, like yeah. it's um, a lot of people don't know this. I'm I'm reading because my son is in to philosophy. I'm reading one of uh, the philosopher Kant, one of his mm-hmm. arguments, and I, I'd forgotten some of these things. But he, you know, back in the day, they very much so saw kind of geometry. And mm-hmm. logic as this essentially the same science. Mm-hmm. So mathematics and logic have always been closely linked. And so you have logical equations. And just like in mathematics, you know, you cross things out, you carry the one, you do whatever. Uh-huh. Well, in logic, if you follow the rules, you should reach to an a, to a, a necessary conclusion. Okay. And so it's it's set up where if A and if B, then yeah, at C. So it so it is pretty pretty much like it seems like a mathematical equation. It is, yeah. it is created very much yes. so to be a scientific. So, and and that is the syllogism. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So and the helpful thing about it is, it's where you could everyone can see it. Like like, so the the classic example would be Socrates, uh, is a man, is the first premise. The second premise, all men are mortal. Right. So the conclusion is Socrates is mortal. Right. Mm-hmm. So A and then B is going to lead to the third. Okay, one right. Being true. Okay, so going back to what I. Therefore. Therefore. And therefore. Well, and therefore. <laughs> a duck. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Monty Python shows the search for the Holy Grail has a great example of when ro- when the laws of logic are go. abused, which yep. was a common thing in the medieval church. Yeah. Uh, was to have the laws of logic abused. And you're and you're referring to the. The woman the, who the is... The trial of the yes, woman. The, yes. The witch. <laughs> That's right. Okay. What, what we, else we can floats? reference that? Because woods float, wood floats and ducks float, they must be made of the same thing. Ducks, therefore, must be made of wood. And so was, that's like, was that like a, co- a commentary, though, essentially? Was oh, that, I don't know if that exact issue was there. But no, no, no. Well, I mean, movie. but, okay, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And okay, by great. the way, if you're, if you're interested, on YouTube, um, there is a great series... Um, of a uh, the old Star Trek cartoon of someone has assigned the logical fallacies, the errors in the mathematical equation of syllogism, um, in but they put them in the mouth of Spock mm-hmm. on this great little cartoon, and they're very simple, easy to understand. 
And so someone on the crew commits a logical fallacy and then Spock corrects yeah. them and teaches I want, them. I want to say we actually might have referenced this we on like one of the, one of, one of the first two episodes of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. They're that so, good. Yeah, they're that good. That's great because we had mentioned that. Okay, yeah. great. Okay, go for it. Okay, sorry, Chris. Okay. We're coming back to you. So the argument goes like this. Uh, everything that has a beginning has a cause. The second point is that the universe had a beginning, which you've got to talk about. Is there a reason to believe that? And then the therefore is the universe had a cause that brought it into existence. So that's, that's the basic argument. And then we would say this cause is the agent that we would call God. Um, and the reason for that would, would be the universe couldn't have brought itself into existence because it would have had to exist before it existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the first premise, I think most people have no problem that everything that has a beginning has a cause. Um, the idea that the universe had a beginning, um, there's a few different reasons to believe that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's weird. There's like the philosophical one about if if we've always existed, we can never reach the present. Right. Like if 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 the universe had always existed, mm-hmm. if you go into eternity past, in other words, you've had to cross eternity to get to where we are. You, you just can't do. You can't. You can't cross an infinite number of moments. Yeah. So we never, but that one's kind of like my mind hurts. And yeah, weird. the simplest is you can't jump up out of a bottomless well. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. It's, that's the basic premise that With some people can With an infinitely high wall. Yeah. yeah. You just can't yes. You, yes. Yes. You yes. could never eventually climb an infinitely high wall. Yeah. My simple example that I use actually is if you were to come in here, let's just say Colson, you came in and mm-hmm. um, there's a cup of coffee sitting here. Um, that was still giving off heat. You could see the steam coming off of it. Uh-huh. You would naturally conclude that cup of coffee hasn't been here for three days, for example. Like right. if it had been gone for however long. And the reason is it's still giving off heat. It, it hasn't reached um, stasis, mm-hmm. or room temperature rather. Yeah. And so it still has energy. That's what the heat is that is able to give off. And yeah. so if it had always been there, it would have already reached room temperature, right? Right. Yeah. And so the argument in in another sense is the fact that the universe still has usable energy or heat right. that is given off uh-huh. means it hasn't always been here because it would have run out of oh, okay. everything would have reached, you know, stasis by, by now. The the scientific discoveries really are, are fascinating because this is only um, within the last two hundred years. Some of maybe it within the last two years. Well true. But I really, just mean what, really got, cool. what got yeah. this going was with Einstein's um, theory of re- relativity and then the Hubble telescope right. and different things. We began to um, make more and more assumptions that it looks like the universe had a beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Again, there's so many scientific things you can get into that we're not going to do here. But could, Can I comment on, by the way, it is a relatively recent in, in idea that the universe is not eternally historical. Like that's what scientists argued for a long, long time. And, and it wasn't until the forties, fifties and sixties when the theories of what we now call the big bang Mm -hmm. were really starting to come into prominence in the scientific community. Um, and, and in fact, I read an, I read years ago, I read a, a physics, uh, book that referenced, uh, how scared a lot of the secular physicists were Mm -hmm. in the forties and fifties. And this was by a secular physicist wrote the book, um, concerned about um, the, the idea that theists all over the world were going to kind of rub physicists' nose in mm-hmm. 
when physicists had to come out and say, cosmologists had to come out and say, okay, it had a beginning. Mm. And and that all of the theists around the world were going to go, uh, yeah, see, that's what we've been saying all along. And he actually referenced the fact that it was a huge relief to them that most theists, for some reason totally foreign to them, had a negative response to that. Like, well, you're saying a Big Bang started at all. That's not true. And right. when theists should have been saying, I mean... Yeah, that that sounds about right. That's exactly what we would have expected is that there would be an instant. And in fact, Lawrence Krauss recently, I mean, with the last couple, in fact, um, on my website, I I am reposting these over the next few weeks. Okay. um, About the the new, some of the new uh, cosmology data. Mm -hmm. And Lawrence Krauss, who is a, I mean, a pretty raging atheist, or at least anti-theist, is, um, I mean, he's, he's, kind of an expert on some of these things of, on cosmology from Australia. And he, um, he references, I have a quote in there where he says that, that essentially the universe began from nothing. And, and then since then he's had to walk that back for the last two or three years because, you know, he's like, but, but by nothing, I may not mean, he nothing. means the laws of quantum mechanics. Right. That's actually what he means. Yeah. And, but, but it started, I mean, the, the amount it had a beginning, it had a beginning and he is, he unfortunately, in a moment of excitement, for unfortunate for him, stated what is what is quite apparent to anybody who looks at the data is that there was there was essentially nothing, and then everything expanded in millions and billions and billions of a second, um, massively. Like 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 we're talking thirty eight zeros space yeah. expansion mm-hmm. in in less than a second, and it's called it's now cosmic expansion. Uh, is what's being, it, it's a new thing that's really being taught not and by new I mean for most of us as lay people uh-huh um but it's it's again the Christian response to that should be that's what we would have expected yeah it doesn't have to be that way we could have expected it wrongly mm-hmm. but no that's what we would and by expectation which you know is not one of my favorite words right I mean predicted right that's what I would yeah that would make sense that's, given that what we there believed. was nothing and then there was and then something. there was something yeah. almost like someone just just spoke it into being. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead, Chris. Sorry. No, that's that's fully related. And so Lawrence Krauss does have a book called A Universe from Nothing. But then if you read it, he does admit that the the nothing isn't really nothing. The laws of quantum mechanics were there, and he doesn't know how those got there. But he says right. that they were yeah, there. they were there already. And it's the same thing. Again, there were laws there already. Right. And that's what even Stephen Hawking said. Um, the universe came from nothing because there was a law of gravity. Right. And you're just like, how laws have no creative power. Right. Like it, they can't create anything, but somehow yep. they, that, so the idea is, and I think a lot of Christians balked at the idea of the Big Bang because all they heard was the evolutionary atheistic explanation of like, right. God wasn't involved. Right. But again, it's just another example of, well, yeah, the universe had a beginning. That's exactly what Genesis yeah. 1 says, and we shouldn't be surprised at it. Now, again, how man ends up interpreting that can be wrong. Right, right. But the evidence seems to go back to pointing that the universe had a beginning. Mm-hmm. It had to have been caused because nothing from what we can observe is a um, just comes an out event of nothing, that just, yeah. yeah. And and we would say that it can't be the universe itself or even a physical law or an attribute of the universe because again that had to exist beforehand to create itself. So all of those descriptions, you start going, okay, so what is really powerful, mm. outside of time, um, spaceless, because it can't be, again, part of the universe itself, mm-hmm. that has the power for things just to come into existence right. 
from nothing. We would go that it sounds like you're describing God, mm-hmm. which is what I think Paul is saying there, that, that you can see that there's something with eternal power and divine nature just from the nature of the universe. Mm. Because again, if we use that logic, if you, I, th- I might have said this in here before, but if you have this beautifully immaculate cake that's just awesome, and I were to say, who baked that cake? And you're like, no, and the, the cake baked itself. You go, no, no, it couldn't have baked itself. It um, came into existence. Therefore, something had to start. Right, 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 mm-hmm. right. So, okay, so that's the cosmological that, yeah, argument. It's really short. Okay, great. But that's a strand, that's a like strand. you were talking about. And it's and it's a good one. And yeah, it's a, it's oh, yeah. It's a really tough one to overcome. Uh-huh. If if you can accept, as as most rational people do, the things that start to exist had a cause. Mm-hmm. And, and if you trace that path backwards, everything is an effect uh, that used to be a cause. It was a cause that led to certain effects, and then those effects become causes that lead to new effects. It's like and, dominoes. Yeah. Right. And so you trace it backwards. Well, you either have to trace it backwards infinitely, meaning it goes on forever, which, again, there are very, very sound reasons to think it is not plausible or possible that the universe could be have an infinite history. Um, so the other option is there is a first cause Mm -hmm. and there's, it's, it's really hard to, to say, no, it's neither one of those there. It doesn't go back infinitely and there isn't a first cause. And it's, it's very, very difficult to argue opposite of that. You know, Einstein purposely tried to avoid it Yeah, in his theory. He, he added this, this constant in his formula for the purpose of the universe, not having a beginning. And yep. later he kind of got called on that by people who saw where his argument, I mean, where his, his uh, reasoning was going in his, his equations. And he right. had to admit, like, I just added that in there and he retracted it. Yep. But it's a good example of even what we just read there of people suppressing the truth of, he just didn't want it. Right. He didn't want the universe. Even a brilliant man like Einstein didn't want the universe to have a beginning because then now you're on, now it's a theological issue and right. all these other things. And and as I understand it, by the end of his life, Einstein was what we would call uh, something of a theist. Mm-hmm. But it's it's what call what would be called kind of the Spinoza God, meaning the universe itself is kind of an intelligent creator. Mm. Um, and there's there's holes in that, obviously, but uh, but it is much more it is certainly much more rational than going. No, it last it came from forever, or it has a, an unstart. And that's one of the more we're we're seeing more you see more and more people making that argument of of okay, I'm stuck with there being some some cause. And so how do I then explain that cause? Yeah. Um anyway. Okay. Um, so now so if we're gonna throw it from your your argument, we're gonna throw it over to, to Chris. What are you gonna unpack for so us today? This is what's cool is mine my favorite one, and I love the cosmological argument, my favorite one though across the years has always been what's called the teleological argument. I actually have no memory of being introduced to the concept of God. Um, we do know that there is good sociological evidence, psychological evidence that children are very, very open from the very, very beginning to claims of the supernatural, to the idea of there being a God. Like it, it actually is potentially, you know, uh, atheists will sometimes say the default state is to not believe, and then you should have evidence to believe. But it turns out with humans, it seems like the default state actually is some degree of belief, yeah. um, at least in some kind of cause. So, so the uh, I don't remember what I do remember is is because I remember standing on a driveway doing this, 
and I know I moved away from this house by the time I was five. Uh-huh. As I remember getting in arguments with friends. So this is how religion starts. Getting in arguments with friends. And we didn't go to church, by the way. I have no idea where I picked up any of this. Standing, having an argument with friends. And us each taking turns praying and asking God which one of us was right. Oh, wow. And then God always told us, we, you know, each, each of us, it was like, well, God told me I was right. right. And the other Funny. guy going like, well, that, well, God told me I was right. And like, and so like, I was like the first, the first religion right here. That's a, um, wow. but I don't remember, I mean, my parents were raised as Christians, but my home was not a Christian home at that age. I'm two or three, four years old. We didn't go to church. We didn't go to vacation Bible school. We didn't do any of that. And so I, yeah. And and I know we went. I went to an Episcopal school in first grade, so I must have been introduced to it by then. But this is preschool. We're talking yeah. three years mm-hmm. old. I don't remember how I was introduced to con- the concept of God. Um, but I had an intuition for understanding there was a higher authority there. Well, the teleological argument when I first heard it, I just loved it, which is funny because I'm not a math guy normally. But teleology, explain um, the, yeah, the word telos. Telos actually means ending. Um, or or finality, or even the way it comes to mean what it's come to mean in the philosophical world is tele, teleology is the is the end purpose why something is yeah um, and so it's the cause by which something arises and so it's the answer to the question not how but why why does this exist um, and so the, the famous version of it is called the watchmaker argument. And so this is the kind of the ancient expression of it. It has, has several recapitulations over, the, over time. But the watchmaker argument says, um, if you're walking along a beach and you find a watch, and we're talking about back when watches were made out of nothing but glass and cogs metal. Cogs and wheels. Yeah, cogs and wheels. Well, all of the component parts of a watch exist on a beach. I mean, you have the silicon for the glass. You've got the bit parts of metal. You've got whatever that if you find a watch laying on a beach, it would be irrational to assume that the component parts of a watch came together on their own, wound themselves, and began to tick off the seconds. That would be irrational. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, clearly a watch exists to perform a certain purpose. And the more complicated the system is, the stronger an evidence it is of an intentionality, of a teleos, a teleology, an end purpose. It exists here for a reason. And so that's what, for me, I, immediately when I heard that argument, that when we uncover something extremely complex, um, it's a little bit irrational to say, oh, well, that must have come into existence of its own natural causes. So it's even beyond the cosmological argument um, which says there has to be a first cause, and the teleological argument says now add purpose to that, add significance to that. And so it, the argument for teleology is if something has a design purpose, it has a designer um, and potentially creator. And, and that's the argument that the teleological argument makes. Um, is it Paley? William, William Paley? Paley? Which one? Who came, up, came up with the watch example? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I... I mean, I'm sure at one point I knew who actually designed the first time. Mm. But the teleological argument goes way back. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's pre-Christian, mm. um, the teleological argument. You had you had philo- Greek philosophers using the teleological argument way back then. Before there were watches, they were making an argument based on design and purpose. Yeah. Um, and, and then when you attach the modern day, which I'm not going to unpack here, but when you attach the modern day um, intelligent design arguments... Um, and, and stuff like that, some of which are, are 
you know, mocked by secular, well, most of them are probably going to be mocked by secular scientists, but that doesn't mean they're not sound. There are, there are very good sound arguments for arguments um, like the, the, how specific the universe is to, uh, and, uh, and not only the universe, but our solar system, not just mm-hmm. our solar system, but our wing of the solar system, our, mm-hmm. our, our planet, all that are, are created so intentionally to allow for life. It's the, the chances are so astronomically ridiculous that you would get such a thing as just the conditions that allow for life. Mm-hmm. Not, not that that, not life conditions that would allow for life. It's often called the Goldilocks zone. Mm. Um, not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Mm-hmm. And there aren't many of those. And when you start adding up all the things necessary to have that, we know that life would almost certainly never have it arisen on mm-hmm. this planet. And, and keep in mind, by the way, all of this is theoretical because we haven't yet created life and we don't know how life came into existence from a purely naturalist perspective, purely secular perspective. There is no, there is yet no spark of life happening in a lab somewhere. We're not going from not life to life. So we actually don't know what the conditions are, Mm. but the ones that we do know, you have to have this type of atmosphere, this type of temperature, this hot, this is too hot, this is too cold even with what we do know would keep life from happening, mm-hmm. you're stuck with an incredibly narrow uh, um, perspective. I was thinking it's funny that the only example they ever come up with are um, the Stanley, uh, the Miller and Yuri, Stanley Miller and Yuri experiments in the 50s where they created some kind of amino acids. Yes. As if we had created life in the lab, which isn't true. Not even close. But all they can do is go back to that because that's right. what they thought at the time. But I always laugh at the idea that if we ever did create it, then we just demonstrated that intelligence was necessary. Right, like, exactly. Because we were <laughs> yeah, the ones that were... It was a little unwinnable. I will yeah. admit, and it, uh, you know, it, it would be impressive to me, and it would mean something to me. Now, again, I have no problem with there being a natural process by which life comes into it. That, that doesn't throw me off at all. That just means that, that doesn't explain away God. And, and we'll talk about that another time, that mm. pro- process arguments, like how something happens, does not explain away a who or a why. And so we're going with a who with the cosmological argument. I'm going with a why with the teleological argument. There has to be design behind purpose. And you're left with these, like, what would be the statistical odds? Is it possible for a watch to come together, the component parts of a watch to come together, given enough time and enough changes in circumstances. And and anyone could probably say, well, theoretically, it is possible. But theoretically possible isn't the same thing as rational. To right. Go, well, of all the options, there's this one and there's this one. Mm-hmm. This one is, and so there's been some great ones over the years that I love. Um, I actually have over there in my bookshelf what I, I'll sometimes do to teach people statistics because people don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's a magic trick that I do where... I have 10 playing cards and I tell people, okay, pull out the first playing card or I'll say, what are the odds? You know, you mix them up and throw them in the bag and they do, and they mix them up and they throw them in the bag. And I go, so if I close my eyes and reach in, what are the odds? It's, it's the ACE through 10. What are the odds of me pulling out the ACE first? And it is, yes, boys? One in 10. One in 10. Very good. And so I pull it out. I pull out the ACE. I'm like, uh-huh. Tell me when you stop believing me. Tell me when you go, this is a designed trick. This uh-huh. is a trick. When do you know it's irrational for you to continue to believe that this is random chance? Mm-hmm. I put the ace back in and I reach in and pull out the two. One in ten yeah. still. No, no now not you're one next. In- 
So doing it next oh, yeah, increases yeah. it to the power of the options. Now it's one in 100. Oh, to so, do it again. Mm-hmm. And so to do the ace first and the deuce second is one in 100. Right. Throw the deuce back in, chances then of going out to trade next is one in 1,000. So to do 10 things in a row is one in 10 billion, by the way. To do 10, 10, you have 10 options, and you do all 10 in a precisely predicted order. Would be oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Billion. If you did it by random chance, you would expect to do it one time out of 10, 10 billion, billion attempts. Times. Yeah. Okay? And yet, I'm sitting here doing it in front of you on command. When do you go, right. okay, what's the trick? Well, most people, I have people raise their hand. I'm like, put your hand down when you think this is a trick. And, of course, a lot of people are like instantly, like, well, you've got to, bag on stage it's probably a trick like good okay that's that is a rational attitude no one gets past one in ten thousand one in hundred thousand like how many of you people buy lottery tickets you should if you if you're not willing to do it now you should be not buying lottery tickets but um but the odds of that and so we don't understand odds so here are some examples that are my favorite to go back to einstein here's one of einstein's quotes the idea that this universe in all its multifold order and precision is the result of blind chance is as credible as the idea that if a print shop blew up, all the type would fall down again in the finished, faultless form of a dictionary. Uh, wow. So that is, I don't know what the, how you apply odds to that, but it's yeah. high. That's, that's big. Yeah. yeah. For years, there was a professor at Texas A&M an engineer uh, or a physicist, physics professor, who said that he he figured it was equivalent to approximately taking all of the matter in the universe and and moving it to its molecular level and turning each of those molecules into a universe and putting all those to their molecular level, taking all those molecules and painting them all black and then paint one white, one molecule white, put them in a bag and mix it up. And the odds of life coming into existence on Earth would be approximately like drawing the white marble on one attempt. And and so uh, it's the this this and my other one is y'all have you ever heard the in the scopes monkey trials uh, or there's the whole um if you give the exact quote ended up being typewriter. something like yeah if you give half a dozen the actual original quote was half a dozen apes typewriters they would eventually create the works of William Shakespeare yeah and so which now if you ask people they'll say like if you give a million monkeys a million typewriters eventually those are <laughs> like, and and so it turns out. This has now been. This study has now been run. We can now do it online because you can do those type of mathematical equations online yeah. and have them run. So the original Monkey Shakespeare Simulator, which I got to be a part of, by the way, it, used, it was it's so long ago that you had to when you attached your computer to it, it started using your computer's power to run the oh, wow. program. Um, and so the original, um, the original simulator created enough monkeys that had created ten to the thirty fifth power pages of randomly typed text. By the monkeys. So that's 10 with 35 zeros. By the time they did this, there were more monkeys, because the monkeys doubled every day in order to do this. Start with a million, and then and every day it doubled. A day was one second in the program. Oh, wow. The program ran for several years, and it was it ended up being 10 to the something like 38th power monkeys, which is more monkeys than there is space for in the entire universe. Right. And if, if every, and that's, that's if you even have monkeys in space, not just on planets and stars, but just in space. And they had typed enough pages that there was not room for all the pages in the universe. And at that point, the longest string was 23 letters. 23 letters. See, statistics don't work the way we think they do. You go, oh, if you take a random thing and you add enough time, eventually you get it. Right. And the conclusion actually was 
it turns out if you gave an almost, essentially an infinite number of monkeys an essentially infinite amount of time, they will essentially never type the works of William Shakespeare mm-hmm. because that's how that works. Um, in fact, I just got to tell you this. Uh, I saw this in the in 2003, a zoo carried out a practical test by giving a keyboard to an actual six-crested uh, macaws. And after a month, <laughs> I had to crack up with this. After a month, the monkeys had produced five pages of the letter S. <laughs> and, then, and then broke the keyboard. <laughs> anyway, that's just funny. But, but the, the teleological argument is based on you, you start picking things, and especially you start picking things that are, are self-refuting. Mm. Like Professor Barry years ago, who was a, a naturalist for a long time, when he finally did the data and re, finally did the research and, and came to the conclusion that, like with amino acids we talked about, that, that, that amino acids have to predate DNA, but DNA is necessary, or RNA, I can't remember now, it's been too long, is necessary to get the amino acids, mm-hmm. complex amino acids. Mm. And he, the minute he realized that you have two different things that each are a precursor of the other one, mm-hmm. he said, well, now I'm stuck with a designer. Yeah. Because neither one of these can lead to the other one's existence, yeah. and yet each of them depend on the other's existence. Wow. Um, the same thing is, and, and Darwin talked about that. When you get to, when you get to two, th- when you get to things that cannot develop, cannot build from one another. It's a miracle. That, that you have 34, you know, like, I'm trying to remember, there's a flagellal tail, the tail on the flagellal, right. or the flagellum has like 34 moving parts. That makes it. Any, any yeah. breakdown of them essentially leads to a dead flagellum. And so, you have to think that by chance all thirty four, all thirty four items appeared essentially mm-hmm. simultaneously. I know they can work it out perfectly. a little bit and worked. And so at some point, it's rash. Were you going to say something? No. Well, I was going to say, Darwin's Black Box is the book that I first read that explained that Michael Behe. Yeah, that's a really good one. If you're going to geek out. Yeah, and they've done the Discovery mm-hmm. what's that Institute. Yeah, the Discovery Institute, and they've done some really great work on design. And and there has been updated research, and I know that if I remember correctly, someone came back later and said, like, actually, you can divide the flagellal tail twelve different times within those thirty-four items because someone ran it and it tested it. And the problem is that still leaves you with with like twenty-two different options that lead to the death of the. Yeah. E- even if that was right, it still doesn't come even close to to getting you there. Right. Um. But, uh, and I'm, I'm making up numbers right now, and I apologize for that because I don't know them off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but when you're left with things as complex as the human eye, which is a great example, yeah. or one of my favorites, giraffe's necks, that if you have all the, all the breakdown of a giraffe's neck and it doesn't, and yet you don't have the whole thing, every stage along the way would lead to a dead giraffe, and yet the current giraffe without the whole thing would be also be dead, and there's all these examples of things that are so complex and so intentional that I think it is rational. And this is why I tell people it, my argument is I think it, what I wanted people to hear is it is rational to believe there is a God. That is not an irrational perspective to think there is a creator. There's a first cause. There is a designer. Those are good, mm-hmm. solid, rational arguments. And they are continued to be backed by scientific discoveries they continue to be defended by um, logical arguments. And I, anyway, those are, when I think back on, I need a better explanation than a designer for the purpose of creation. For someone to break the laws of statistics to the degree they've been broken, mm-hmm. I have to either believe in blind chance um, as what would lead to this, 
but I, I literally would say statistically, I don't have, I, I don't I mean, have yeah. the faith yeah. for it. Right, right. That's what I was going to say. It's yeah. the Frank Turek wrote a book called "I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist." Right, because you do start to get to the point where you're going, you you're just saying that's to not believe that to think that it happened by chance is getting ridiculous. Right. My dad is a is an environmental scientist, and um, we had a, a family member recently kind of tell him that she's an atheist. And he immediately said, he's like, no, no, at, at least you mean deist. I mean, at least you mean theist. You're, you know, l- listen, as a scientist, I'm telling you, the more rational option for you, if you don't want to be a Christian, I understand we can talk about that, but the more rational argument for you is not atheism, it is deism or theism. Let's start there and have that conversation because it's just very hard to grasp mm. the idea to make the statement. It's so irrational. It, it can be. And, yeah. and I don't, that doesn't mean everyone who's an atheist is irrational. Right, right. Especially by the modern standard where they say, I just need more evidence. And we'll unpack that. Or, or by the time you're listening to this, maybe we have unpacked it. I don't know exactly how that's going to play out. But we will be unpacking that argument in the near future of, mm. of that. I've got a really good quote. Go <clears throat> Anthony Flew, who uh, was in really, he was an outspoken atheist. He wrote a bunch of textbooks, right? Isn't yeah, he wrote the book Atheistic Humanism. Yes. I mean, he was around at Oxford like during C.S. Lewis. He was part of the club that Lewis, he was really, really smart. He did debates um, against Christians and things like that. But eventually, over the years, he really was looking at, and he, he admits, he wrote a book eventually called There Is a God. Um, and he just said, I, I, I had to, when I finally followed the evidence, wherever it led. Right. But his big con- convincer was DNA, that it just had. You know, the, when I said bear earlier, that may be, Dr. Bear may be different. I may have been thinking flu. Oh, I don't know. Good, keep going. But he said, DNA has shown by the almost unbelievably unbelievable complexity of the arrangements, which are needed to produce life, that intelligence must have been involved. And he just admitted it's, he said, it's become inordinately difficult even to begin to think about constructing a naturalistic theory of the evolution of that first reproducing organism. So what's interesting for him is um, at the age of 86, I think he was, um, uh, 81, sorry, 81, he became a theist at least. He admitted that he believed in right. in there being a God. But his what led him to that conclusion was looking at, Science. He was looking at that the the DNA evidence, and um, it just seemed irrational. Because DNA, what's so interesting, and this is why I bring it up because it's related to the theological mm-hmm. argument. It's information. Um, it's not just matter. In other words, you could open a book and you could explain the chemicals that make up the ink on that page, but it doesn't explain the information in the book. Right. That's something that's different. Um, right. So you could explain. Um, you know, physical things, mm-hmm. but, but the DNA is the blueprint. And where did the blueprint come from? Because right. it's, it's, it's a, we use it in language terms. It's words and letters and um, volumes of stuff. So mm. anyways, that's, it's a good argument. Yeah. Both of those. And there, I would encourage people to look up the, uh, the moral argument is another excellent one. Dr. Craig does that. Uh, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis unpacks that. First chapter. And, uh, and then, um, Another common one is the is the uh, ontological argument. I know I have the I th- uh, say that I think I have these unpacked on my page. A basic answer, but um, and the ontological argument, the people for whom the ontological argument were like is convincing. They're super usually super convinced by it. 
And that's the basic principle, a very simple principle. I'm going to say this super, this is a major argument, but um, is, is that God by definition would be the thing, the ultimate thing. And it is more ultimate to exist than not exist. Mm. And therefore God must exist. It is a totally, totally logical external human experience and both the arguments you just heard, the cosmological and the teleological, are a posteriori arguments, meaning they include human experience. Mm. Uh, according to some philosophers, an a priori argument, meaning one without any human experience, would be the most perfect argument. Mm. Anytime you could do it, that it doesn't require our experience because our experience is not always trustworthy. And the only sound uh, a priori argument for the existence of God is the ontological um, which means by the nature of God's own nature, he must exist. And it's a it's a great one. And some people, especially if you're more philosophically minded, some people, they hear that one and they're like, done. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's no way for God not to exist based on the fact that we're talking about it means he must. Like, it's, it's a pretty strong argument. Yeah. Um, someday, maybe on this podcast, we'll talk about, uh, I actually think the nature of marriage mm. is proof of a designer. Um, so it would fall under a design argument or the teleological argument, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation for another day. That's awesome. But both of these, you know, when I have my doubts or my questions or my concerns, I revisit some of these and even sometimes revisit some of the arguments against them. And, and they just feel so pale and weak compared to the strength of these mm-hmm. arguments that those are helpful to me. Now, again, these aren't about causing someone to become a Christian. Yeah. This, this is, is simply just showing just... you. There it is, is rational to believe that there is a God. There yeah. is a creator. There is a designer. Then we can discuss other things from on top of that. But yeah. And we go. will. And, and we will. we will. So thank you so much for listening. Yeah, we hope that if you were challenged or you found this these things uh, intriguing, that you will continue to, to look for answers. Um, yeah, be encouraged. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers. <laughs>